Kia ora, I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2018 event. Comedy crafters par excellence, Kura Forrester, Peter Hellier and Oscar Kitely, unpick a jokey script in conversation with the project's Kanoa Lloyd. What's funny, what's not, and how to tell the difference. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks! You gorgeous thing. So... Have a seat, you fellas. Um, Kura Forrester, if you have not seen web series Susie Boone yet, treat yourself. It is amazing. Kura plays Susie, uh, and sort of a silly, quite silly, eh? But quite very, silly, yes. very adorable character. Um, she's a qualified clown after attending. That's a French clown school in Paris. <laughs> um, you have seen her work on stage in Tiki Tour Snort, and she's co-directing a series at the moment for Q Theatre. Plus, she's my cousin. Give it up for Kura. Thanks, Kura. Oscar Kitely is one of our best-loved funny guys here in Aotearoa, right? He's a naked Samoan, which makes him one of the geniuses behind New Zealand treasures, Bro Town and Sione's Wedding. He writes a beautiful Fairfax column covering everything from the trials and tribulations of being a Blues supporter. How are they going at the moment, Oscar? Do you want to talk oh, about good, it? Not good, not good. Okay, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, th through to uh, defending the importance of te reo Māori, please give it up for Mr Oscar Kitely. Peter Hallier started as a stand-up comedian in the 90s, and ever since then he has been busy being funny on radio, television, movies, like the one that he wrote called I Love You Too. You've seen him here on tally screens on our very own Seven Days and on Rove. You and your kids can catch him tomorrow morning at Auckland Town Hall talking about his incredible book series, Frankie Fish, and he's on some show called The Project in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we just started recently after you guys oh, you kicked it off us. for us. Thanks uh, so much. No, we're in our ninth year. So, um, <laughs> A big round of applause project. for Peter Hellier. Thank you. Thank you. So before I hurt all of your ears and your brains with this idea for the worst script in the world, I want to start with a question, which is, can anyone learn to be funny? And maybe I'll ask you first, Kuda, because you've actually been to a funny school. Sure. Um, I think if you try hard enough at anything, you can learn it. Uh, I think having a, a natural instinct towards being funny really helps. Uh, I think you kind of know whether you have a funny bone or not. Mm -hmm. And then I think you can develop it and, and learn how to be better at it and learn how to use it. So I think yes. But if you're not inclined to being funny, then maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine, that's told me. <laughs> um, Oscar, what do you reckon? Can anyone learn and learn and learn and learn, come to a session like this and walk away knowing how to be funny? Wow. Mm, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool, session over. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can, by coming to a session like this, I think you you can if you've already had a session like this and you're already seeing funny things about what's happening. Mm -hmm. If you have a general kind of take the piss out of life attitude, I think that kind of pr turns into a, a sense of humour. So I think someone can, but on the other hand, someone who is 
seemingly not hilarious could be seen, could be really funny, you know, like the Germans. <laughs> one, of, one of the funniest of things them. about them is that they don't think they're funny, which makes them funny. Mm. So it's a, fu- yeah, it's a funny one. It's a great question to start. What do you reckon, Pete? I tend to agree to an extent that I'm not sure if you can go from zero to hero, um, but, I mean, I'm sure people have tried to make our Prime Minister funny. You know, I'm sure they've said, listen, let's work on your sense of humour. And it hasn't worked. He's, he's, he's fucking hopeless. Um, <laughs> but I... So, I think you can be taught to be funnier. And I heard somebody um, uh, say uh, recently that it takes 10 to 15 years to be a you know, really good stand-up comedian. And, um, and I think that's probably true. Um, uh, so you're always learning to be funnier, but I'm not sure if you can go f- from absolute scratch of being somebody who's not open to being funny. Was there a moment in your life when you were like seven or something where, where you just like... This is it. It was a light of funniness shone on you and you went, this is it, I'm you funny. Made it was laugh. exactly seven. Yes, I was seven. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, uh, and by the way, I, I disagree with Oscar on one thing. You all go home tonight feeling funnier. Yes. Uh, that's, that's, I it's, a, it's a guarantee you'll all <laughs> be hilarious once you walk out of here. Just don't quote me on that. Um, but no, I, um, I, uh, no, I can't. I, I've, uh, there was a class that I was in, in, in uh, high school, and it was in year 10. And I, uh, um, actually, there's two things. There's one in year eight where the teacher let me host. Uh, everyone was doing their oral presentations for humanities, and they, the teacher let me host the class. So there was a big Tonight Show called Tonight Live by Steve Izard that was on at the time, and she le- and I loved that show, and she would let me host the class. I would introduce, go, okay, now coming up from Greensboro, ladies and gentlemen, he loves playing down ball at lunchtime, it's Charlie! <laughs> and Charlie would come on and do his talk, and I thought, this is great, I love doing this. How old were you? That was, I was about year, like year eight, so, <laughs> yeah, no, I was, yeah, I was like a Doogie Howser. Um, uh, no, and then um, in, I was in year... 11 and our politics teacher he had a great rule where he said he said anyone can make a joke at any point you can interrupt and make a joke the one rule is though it's got to be funny if it's funny you stay in the class if it's not you're out and it was great for me i was like so like oh wow they're like there's a standard you know and the, and jerry seinfeld once said he's not the class clown he was the class comedian and I always kind of liked that because I felt like the, I felt like there was a craft to what I was doing. You know, I like punchlines. I like trying to work it out as opposed to you know making fart noises at the back of the class. Hey, nothing. Which are also funny. Very <laughs> funny. I'm not, I'm not disputing that at all. Um, Oscar, do you remember the first time you made someone laugh and you got that light? Yes, I do, uh, Carnor. Well, that's why I asked Peter so I someone wa- would ask me. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Were you I seven? Was, no, I was six. <laughs> I was six, and I couldn't speak English at school because I just arrived into the country from Samoa, and I used to not understand what the teacher said. So I would watch the teacher and just copy what they did, and just copy the kids. And at the time that we were doing, we were big on earthquake drills. I don't know why. Yeah. It was a whole lot of practice at school on what to do in the case of earthquakes. And the other thing we, we were big at was running to your desk and sitting up straight and folding your arms. <laughs> I don't know why. That's not a skill I've used in my adult life. <laughs> but the teacher clapped her hands and everyone ran to, the sta- ran to their desk and sat up straight and I hid under thinking it was earthquake drills. And everyone laughed, thinking I was trying to be funny, but I wasn't. But in that moment, I looked around and I thought, wow, people are smiling and they leave you alone. And so she, she, from that moment on, humour for me came a kind of um, 
way to keep the world away and also take the piss out of things. So that was my moment. Yeah. What about you? What um, when I was seven, seven <laughs> I used to get up in the commercial breaks watching TV with my whanau and put little shows on. I used to put the beanbag over my head and I had this really great routine. And then one night I thought the routine was going really well and I was like, I'm not getting the usual response. And I took the beanbag off my head and they'd all left the room <laughs> and were laughing at me from the kitchen. I cried and cried. And then I stopped being funny. Like I used to be a, um, a kind of shy kid and was uh, good at being funny, but I'd hate being laughed at. And I really worked through that as a teenager. I was like, uh, I eventually found power in being funny, but it used to be, I used to think um, being laughed at was being treated like you were dumb. And that was a big thing for me to like get over and sort of use my funniness for power instead of letting people laugh at me or put me down. Yeah. It's funny, there seems to be a common thing like, because I, I think you'd need to feel to an extent like an outsider to some degree to get in the comment. I don't think anyone well adjusted and completely together is going to be a very funny person to hang around, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah I know. I've dated a few comedians. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this may shock you, but I, I was a little bit chubby as a kid. Um, obviously, I've lost it all. Um, and um, and that, so that was, for me, instead of the kids making fact jokes to me, I would get in before they could, and I would get on the front foot and make the jokes before they could. And then mm. I, I can barely remember a joke about my weight going through. And I, I, was, a, I was a fat kid, uh, uh, and I... I just don't remember a joke being made of it because I, I got in first. It was a shield. So you all sort of learned this comedic language, built, you know, turned comedy into a strength. And now you're all sitting here because you've turned that strength into your work, which is, yeah, you're successful. You made it, guys. You made it. And just waiting to be busted for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any minute now. It's like, you know, like the blues. Um, sorry to <laughs> come back to that moment of pain. But, you know, I, I love them in the All Blacks, and they got to do PE forever, you know, once they left school. <laughs> and, um, and that's fun, you know, until you're about 30. Um, and, for, and for people in the arts and, and comedy and, and acting, they got to just have morning tea time forever because it's playtime, you know, there's a certain play in it. So to actually, it's a weird thing to be invited to a workshop to discuss the art of funny writing because... It's funny to me that this is still going on. <laughs> <laughs> still living playtime. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me, Oscar. You're a blooming genius, and that's why I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing that I said I'd do, and we'll see how we get on. Here is the worst script in the world, and let's walk through it and see if we can break it down and make it a little bit better. It goes like this. A guy walks into a bar... One little laugh, thank you. The bartender says, what can I get you? He says, a beer, and the guy finishes his beer and leaves, that end. So there's nothing there at all, but I think there's a little bit for us to work with. So if we step back to a guy walks into a bar, coulda, is the guy the right character to walk into the bar? Not these days. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, straight away, as soon as you said a guy walks into a bar, I was like, or a Boom. girl, or a girl. Yeah, <laughs> nah, but you know, like, um, every time I write something now, there's that huge responsibility of going, uh, 
you're always kind of reflect your work reflects what's going on in the world, and you do have a responsibility to kind of talk about stuff. Um, but I like taking that stuff and flipping it on its head too. So, sure, it can be a guy, but I want to know like uh, straight away why is he in the bar? What's he gone into the bar to get apart from a beer? But you know, like uh, where has he come from? I'd ask all those questions straight away, and I would wonder if it's a woman. Yeah, and yeah. given that you, so take Susie Boone, for instance, given that you are such an amazing female comedian, um, should it be, should it be a woman? Should it be kind of a silly, vulnerable woman? What did, like, where did Susie come from? Uh, a guy, Roberto Nascimento, wrote a very serious monologue about a woman called Susie Boone, a true woman who didn't let him into the country very easily when he came here from Brazil. And he wrote that really seriously, and I picked up the monologue, and I made her a fish out of water and really weird and funny. And it was easier to, the tragedy and the sadness is easy, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, sorry, but... um. <laughs> She's sad and mean, but it's funny. It is. It's yeah. really funny. And a lot of that is to do with you, though, too, Kura. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but let me ask you. Because something that's hilarious about Susie is her face, your face. Yeah. Dude, I mean, were you always, did you always have that face, or is that something that you... <laughs> <laughs> you need to see it to know what I mean. Um, she's like that. Is, is it something? Is it something that you? No, I've worked on my faces. Yeah, you know, I've worked on it, and I've become ballsier with my face. You know, like I, I'm pretty happy to not look beautiful. I don't mind that, and I think that's important that we don't all look perfect all the time. And a, a reviewer called me elastic face recently after a stage show, and I was like, yo yo. I think he was trying to be mean, but I was like, I love that. Uh, does that answer your question? It sure does. Yeah, yeah thank you. Oscar, mm. do you think the guy is the right lead character to walk into the bar? Maybe if he was brown. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> but uh, that's I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's such, right yeah. Oscar, it's such an innocent guys. situation, someone walking into a bar, but that's often the, the setting for a lot of great jokes, isn't it? But I think, like, f I th I think jokes like, like humour, it follows the same rules as drama. And drama is essentially, you know, a study of characters under pressure. So in this bar, you need some kind of pressure. You know, as a guy walks into a bar and he spends all his family's pay of at the pokies, which isn't that funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, that's one way you could go down. That's my bro town hat coming out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I like that as a start. But, I, you know, I like, I like a horse walks into the bar, mm. um, you know. Or a guy with a horse or face. Or a duck. <laughs> yeah. Or An a duck with horse. a long face. Yeah. yeah. Now we're cooking. Like but but you say that pokies isn't that funny, Oscar, and yet you, especially in Brotown, you did take all of those, you know, you lifted the lid on some of those really yucky things about um, poverty and not having the same language as everybody else. Um, all of those kinds of things we saw in Brotown, and you made us laugh. Um, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess we just told the truth. Yeah. And people laughed because they recognised that. And it was either a laugh of uncomfortability or it was a laugh of recognition. 
and it was a laugh of, yeah, it is funny and it's really serious, but let's just laugh at it now until we can figure out a way how to deal with it. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think with humour, I think what's true is a lot. You can't laugh at fake jokes. You know, it, it doesn't, there's something magical about a joke, eh? There's something funny about humour that it cuts through time and space and through your skin and reaches your elbow or, <laughs> or wherever it is that it hits you. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think the uh, the more experience you get writing comedy, it used to be the first few years I did stand-up comedy in particular, I would be like, this, the jokes will come to me. I'll just live my life and the jokes will come. And, you know, they did to an extent. And then you get to an age where you go, I want to talk about this. You know, I want to talk about pokies or I want to talk about alcoholism or whatever it might be. And you get braver in your subject choices. And uh, and that's that's where, where I think when... when that person said it takes 10 or 15 years to become a really good comedian. That's probably what they're talking about. I think that, you know, you, you will um, uh, not come through the same door as far as when you're approaching uh, how you write comedy. So you're not just learning your craft, you're also learning the way in which you craft. Do you work harder now that you are older? What? I think sometimes I decide the subject matter before I think of the joke. Like, yeah. you know, um, in recent shows I've done, I've done bullying and, and same-sex marriage, which is obviously a big thing in Australia. Um, and, um, uh, you know, and I've just decided, like, I decided I wanted to talk about climate change in this the, the late, latest wow, show. What's a joke about climate change? <laughs> well, my, my, my take on it was... And it was all through the prism of the fact that I'm on the show, uh, the project, but I'm the comedian on the show, not the, you know, so people actually confuse that. So they want my opinions all of a sudden on, on serious subjects. And this is actually true. This is before I get to climate change. I was watching the AFL grand final. I'm an AFL fan, I apologise. Um, watching the grand final. And I knew my, my friends from my, my, my whole life were there, basically, from, from school and guys I knew. And there's three or four people I just met that morning. And one of them came up to me um, a few minutes before the, what we call three-quarter time, really tense moment in the match, and he said to me, Pete, I wouldn't mind getting your views on assisted dying <laughs> during the <laughs> AFL grand final. And I said, mate, wait for three-quarter time and I'll fucking help you out. Um, <laughs> so that, was, that kind of set up the idea that people were wanting my opinion and then I kind of shared about my, you know, that I've had to get brave in sharing my opinions and my thing about climate change was climate change is real even though I've done no research but I don't have to do research because 100 of the top scientists in the world say that it's real. So it's real. Uh, if 100 of the top uh, uh, mechanics said that your car needs to be checked, I would go check my car. If 100 of the world's top GP said, your scrotum shouldn't be that colour, I would go and get it checked. I wouldn't find a doctor in you know, Illinois and drag him out of the woods, Dr. Fuckknuckle, and say, no, scrotums, purple and yellow are a good colour for scrotums. Go, go, go about your business. So that, that was where I, you know, I, I got. But and then, and then I, you know, I spoke about you know, uh, you know, screen time and the things that I wanted to kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of talk about. Uh, we started that with climate change. Scrotums. <laughs> That's uh, see the wonderful. in the end, it always ends up with the scrotum gag. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the thing to take away tonight. Always end with the scrotum gag. But you talk about showing up to that game and people expecting you to be serious and informed and across the news and these big issues. Do you guys walk into a room and everyone expects you to bring the lols all the time? Is that is that a real pressure, Oscar? Yeah, hard out, and um, it's awful. <laughs> um, you know, like you'll be at a club somewhere wasted at like three in the morning. This is one of the days when they did open till three in the morning. 
And, um, you know, you'd be like barely standing and someone comes up and goes, hey, you're that funny fella. And you're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow, do you know any jokes? And I'm like, nah. He said, whoa, what a rude guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, well, what do you do for work? He goes, oh, I'm a plumber. He goes, well, can you fix my toilet? <laughs> and he goes, no. He goes, see, I'm not working. Um, I, that, that was one time that I bothered to have a conversation like that. But, yeah, it is that expectation. And I'm sure maybe you've decided to see just in the three of us talking and yourself too is that comedians are actually quite serious people. Well, because it takes it takes hard work to do what you do. Could it, do you have to bring the lols when you come yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, sometimes I just am tired and shitty, <laughs> so I don't want to. But um, you know, being around my friends and uh, I find writing comedy easiest when I'm collaborating. I never really do it on my own. I'm always sort of up on the floor asking mate. You know, I'll run jokes by my mates all the time, and they're often my best sort of yardsticks of where, whether it's going well or not and um but like my family are pretty they often sort of be they're the ones that are like oh I think you're funny that that they're like that with me which is great are they your toughest audience yeah toughest and best too you know so if i crack them up i'm doing really well because are they, they believe funny? me you know yeah they're crack up do you <laughs> at a tangy recently i was at a tangy recently and my uncle was doing a talk, you know, at the Poroporoaki, he was doing a talk. And it was serious, and I'm crying, and we're all crying. And he goes, and my niece here, she'll get up and tell a joke, because she actually makes people pay for her to tell her joke, pay, pay for <laughs> her joke. So come on, come on, niece. Come on, niece, come on, my niece. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I was like, not now, not now. And I was like, oh, oh, and he goes, tell us a joke. Come on, tell us a joke. And everyone's crying and it's sad. And, and I was like, and I totally froze. I had nothing because I wasn't expecting it. And he goes, well. Tonguey, wow. They had a tonguey. And then he goes, well, you can tell a joke or you can sing a song. So I oh, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> so I sang a song. What song? Do you want to sing it now? Um, oh, it's a Maori song. Well, I, you know, I just, and I was really, and then afterwards I was pissed off at myself for not being performance ready. And a tonguey, you know? <laughs> I was really like, oh, should have had something, should have had something, you know? <laughs> a tight five on funerals. Yeah. Uh, Pete, are you always performance ready? No, no. I um, And I, I, it's all depending on my mood. Sometimes, you know, I always try to be polite and, and thankful and, <laughs> Thank and, and um, <laughs> that, that people have taken an interest in, in coming up and saying something. And if they're, if they're polite, and most people are, it's often drunk men that, you know, uh, unpolite. I get called by drunk men a drunk sea bomb a lot. Like, and it's a weird one. You're not sure if it's a, if it's a compliment or a, you Are know, they Aussies. These they're Aussies. Yeah, they're always Aussies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pathetic. Um, <laughs> I know how to play local crowd, don't I? Um, <laughs> How stupid are Australians? Um, uh, yeah, but so uh, you know, if, if I'm if I'm feeling good and up about, then I'll you know I'll you know I won't perform, but I'll you know I'll have fun with them, and if not, I'll just be polite and say thanks and yeah. Okay, well let me try and harness a little bit more of that funniness now, because you're on stage, you know it's it's time. Mm. Um, oh, I guess a quest one question I have about the a guy walks into the bar is. Are tropes, or, you know, those things that we all know, are they a help or a hindrance when it comes to 
writing something funny, Kura? Do you try and avoid, 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 or are they like a lovely starting point that you can launch off from? Uh, I think the, they're usually pretty helpful. Like, they're there because they work. Are you talking, you know, like the whole sort of three beats and that sort of stuff? And I don't, What's three beats? Well, you know, like, uh, is it? No. Is it? No. Is it? Yeah. Oh, you so know, like if you say something yeah, by the yeah. third the time, it becomes structure. Yeah, funny. the three-act structure. That's what it's called. He's a professional. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I do a lot of improv comedy and walking into a bar and saying who you are, where you are and what you want is really important. So uh, I, I think yes is the answer. Tropes. <laughs> well, you know, like those those well, familiar yeah. things. Yeah, it's almost like cliche. Like, cliche. I think it's good to be aware of them so then you can decide whether to go with them and use a trope or to um, to invert it and, and come up with something else. Um, you know, like in a horror film, a trope would be, you know, the, the mansion with the, you know, the, the, with the family who've just moved in. Like, that's a trope. Um, so... You know, it's good to know what they are so you know what to do with them. Um, and what we do in The Shadows was, you know, like a great example of, you know, knowing what the tropes are and then playing with them, you know. Totally. And the, and the, the cool thing about tropes is that the audience knows them as well. Like, when you think about all, this, all the comedy that cracks you up in the course of your life, you know, no one could do a comedy now about a group of students who flat, because the young ones did that years ago. You know, and so you know tropes. You know about the, you know, the two buddies on an adventure flick. You know about the, you know, the useless person who doesn't have the tools to try and save the world. And that's a, that's the useful thing about tropes is that we all know them because we all watch because we're all fans of comedy. Mm -hmm. And so if you can break them, like you know, like the brilliant way that that Shadows did, even well, the brilliant thing that the Concords did of mm. those two musos trying to make it. <laughs> but you know. That was a, a common trope, but the difference was that they were Kiwis from Wellington, and they talked like that, and they sounded like that, and mm. they were like that in New York, in Big Bad New York. <laughs> I was talking to Madeline Sami recently about Genius. the breaker uppers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was saying they followed the buddy movie trope, mm. and it frustrated her a lot during the writing of that film because she wanted to break it all the time and go weird with it, but they managed to still do that but keep the trope because it is a a structure that works. Bridesmaids is a buddy film. The Breaker Rappers is a buddy film, but they've got all these genuine little weird off bits that work as well, but the kind of, the structure works, I guess. Humans want to see it, eh? Because we know the form that stories are, and mm. so we, we expect an ending, but the delight is if it's a different, if it's, if it's, an, if it's done in a surprise that you haven't seen before. Mm. And then it becomes a trope until someone else comes along and breaks that one. Yeah. Um, okay, the bartender says, what can I get you? Can unfunny people deliver a great line that has been written for them and get a laugh? <laughs> Oscar, you're nodding. Yeah, I'm nodding because if you, if you write a, f I mean, it's, I mean, I'm just thinking about a, f a film, you know, a comedy film. You're writing funny scenes. You can give actors who don't have any funny bone a funny scene, and if you direct them well, they can they can nail it and they can kill it. And they as long as they don't try. Yeah, yeah. That's, it, that, that's the thing. I mean, my one of my m biggest heroes in terms of comedy is the late, great John Clark, and I just love him. I loved mm. him from when I was a kid, and I saw him be Fred Dagg, and I loved him through all his work in Australia and all his, all his films recently. And he had a thing, he, he had a rule that I 
read about in a, in a great interview that he gave, and he said his thing is to write a funny story and then take out all the jokes because it should be up to the audience to decide whether it's funny or not. Mm. Which is really brave. (laughs) (laughs) But only John Clark could do that. But that was his thing. If you watch his stuff, there's not that many kind of set up gag punchlines in it, you know, and yeah. Have you tried that? Would you ever try that? Are you thinking about it and the stuff that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, we did our stage show, Naked Samoans Do Magic, recently, and it was our first time on stage for like eight years. But we tried that. Yeah, Yeah. big up to the Auckland Arts Festival for giving us a shot. (laughs) But we tried that. We tried to take out the jokes, and it kind of worked. Mm. I think people still laughed. Did they? they, Was it good? Yeah. It was all right. (laughs) The magic was crack (laughs) up. Sometimes it was so bad it was great. Yeah, yeah, that's the cool thing. Sometimes yeah. it can be so bad that makes it funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, you say that idea of taking jokes out is terrifying to you. I would never do that. <laughs> that sounds... I, I know, it's a really interesting experiment. Um, I... Uh, because you were saying earlier that you, uh, you like to think of yourself as a comedian rather than a clown, so you are about the craft yeah, I, I, of a joke. I, I like stuff. jokes, but, but, the, but the, the rules of comedy aren't, too dis, you know, aren't dissimilar to the rules of drama, really. We're, you're always looking at the, um, the intention uh, of the character and, and, and the obstacles that, you know, it's, it, that's all it is, really. Um, even in jokes, you know, uh, the, the, you could probably find, not that I think of it like that when I'm writing a joke, but but you could probably find an intention on an obstacle in, in every joke that you write. And it's certainly the same when you're writing, uh, or certainly the case when you're writing scripted. I mean, it's not about who walks into the bar, it's the reason that he's going to the bar that's really interesting. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, I agree that in 2018, it would be probably not wise to make it a, a, a straight white man, <laughs> um, but uh, for it to be interesting. Um, but it's, it's always the reasons, I think, the, the, the intention. Um, Is writing comedy fun? It's fun for us as an audience. Is it an enjoyable experience? You talk about putting together stuff with your friends. Do you like it? You're nodding and you're shaking your head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I haven't written movies and stuff. Like, I don't know, like recently I've just been learning how to write sketch comedy. I've been writing for a TV show on Māori TV called Only in Aotearoa, and it's sketches, two, three pages. And I wrote 14 sketches in a week And I got some notes back from the editor and they were brutal notes. (laughs) And also, I I don't know if they were brutal, but it's the first time in a while that I felt pretty unconfident about what I was doing. But the notes were so clear and so easy and then I was away after that. So I I found it fun. I was laughing while I was writing them, so that was fun. (laughs) And I was like, well, if I'm laughing writing it, hopefully other people will. But I do have to stand up and say it out loud. I'm not like this, like, it's funny in my head. I go... Um, you know, hi, I'm a guy walking into a bar. Hello, what do you want? You know, and I'm like that. And then, I'm, and then I'll write it down. I'll play all the characters and then write it. Which is something that you're really good at. Like in, t- like in Tiki Tour, you, d- you, were all of the, you were all of the people. Yeah. Um, did you always have all of those voices or do you have to, like, is it like you talk about you're crafting them for the, the project that you're working on or were those characters, those characters that you bring, are they... Um, or like I like copying people, yeah. So I feel like I'll write characters from people that I know, and I'll and I'll copy them, and then I'll uh, make them really big or really extreme, and and push the boundaries a bit. But I'm writing a new stand-up show for myself, and I'm really challenging myself not to do characters. 
so that I try and sort of not rely on that anymore. How come? Well, just to give it a go, just give it a bash. Like, you may as well do something scary, right? Like, stand-up comedy is so scary for me. Like, when I was doing my show, the night before I opened, I was behind the curtain just like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> B, I'm writing a new show, and I'm calling it Coulda, Shoulda, Woulda. <laughs> Brilliant. The most amazing. It's about regrets. <laughs> Not my regrets, other people's regrets <laughs> that they've done to me. But I wish he hadn't broken up. He wished he hadn't broken up with me. <laughs> and he's here tonight. No, I don't. But <laughs> what gets you over that, like from the standing behind the curtain with your microphone shaking to the point where you're like, well, going to do another show? Oh, because the moment you're on, you're sweet. It's just that moment beforehand that it's like, Throwing up in your mouth. <laughs> is that is that every gig that you do? Or is that just at the start of the just the when season? I was starting out? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it gets easier. I don't know. Does it get easier? Uh, yeah, I, I never feel like that behind a curtain. But I feel the, the, the when I have that thought is when I'm driving to a gig, um, and it's like not my own show. I'm just doing a spot, a 20 minute spot somewhere, and I'm testing new material. And I know that I'm, got, I'm doing a show in six months' time, and I need 60 minutes of material, and I've got zero minutes. And I'm driving there, and I'm thinking, why, why did I agree to do a show? I shouldn't have agreed. And I, I don't know if this, any of this is going to work. And usually, you know, I might come home with three minutes of stuff that I think might work. And, you know, that'll be like, okay, I've got three minutes. I can build 57 minutes around this, you know. But it's, it's, it's when you're driving to those gigs that I think, why did I agree to do another one? Yeah. yeah. So are you saying that you will go out and do 20 minutes and then throw out 17 of those minutes because you're doing it to a quiet room? That sounds... Well, possibly. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Sometimes you go, well, it wasn't, you know. Uh, I still believe there's something in that. And comedians are also... Sometimes we're very stubborn. Sometimes we'll do material that doesn't particularly work particularly well because we love it. You know, <laughs> like this one's for us. <laughs> the other 54 minutes are for you, but this six minutes is for me. You know? <laughs> Just sit quietly and listen <laughs> to that. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. it. Um, but it's hard doing it in New Zealand too. I, I, I heard once that international comedians, when they come to New Zealand, when and the, uh, if they can get a Kiwi audience after 20 minutes to unfold their arms... <laughs> That's like a standing ovation overseas. Yeah. <laughs> different places, are, you know, have different requirements. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've always found audiences here to be, be lovely. <laughs> You're not trying to make <laughs> over anything. <laughs> and you are the best of them all. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! They're still nice. <laughs> Good lesson. Suck up to your audience. <laughs> Could I have you ever had a moment on stage? Like, do you have one moment on stage where you've just been like, oh, my Lord, this is terrifying, this is not going well? And, and if you have, how do you recover from that? Um, yes. And mainly when I do Snort, which is like an a late-night improv comedy show, and improv always go, uh, can go badly real quick. And then um, the funnest part is when it goes so bad that it starts getting funnier again. So you really dive into the badness. <laughs> uh, but again, uh, that's a bit different because you've got your mates on stage with you and you're all sort of firing and you're all looking at you going, this is going so shit. And we'll just start again. But you've just got to get over it in yourself too. Like when I first started doing improv, I used to get stuck in a rut and was like, that was so bad. How will I ever go out again? But you just got to do it. I don't know, just... It's not, it's like, it doesn't happen that often. So you kind of just take the losses when they come. I think once you've been doing it for a while as well, you know that not every gig that you do, no gig's going to define you. You know, you can yeah. go out and do a gig. And if it's not a great gig, you know, 
nothing changes. I'm still who I am. You know, I've got I've been doing it for 22 years now. If I was doing a gig here tonight, it didn't go well. I'd be like, okay, that didn't go well, but whatever. Yeah. You know, I'll do a gig tomorrow night, and I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, and, and after a few hours of drinking, and <laughs> exactly, self-flagellation. Yeah, yeah I'll be back in the hotel room. <laughs> doing why, God, why? <laughs> but also, it's also you're usually surrounded by comedians. We all know what it's like to have a bad gig, and mm. you know, it's like sometimes you do a corporate gig, and they can be tricky. And sometimes when they don't go well, I know that you always you always call another comedian just to tell them about it, just to just to you know, go through the motions, and they usually love it. They love hearing about it. You know? <laughs> so it's you know it's nice, it's a nice shared experience amongst the comedians. That's what I think is nice about the community, to be honest. Yeah. The stakes have got to be that much higher, though, when it comes to writing a feature like Sionne's Wedding. Um, do I mean is there that I'm so nervous before this happens? Oscar, or is the process so enormous? Oh, yeah, the process is so enormous. I mean, and like you asked before, is it fun writing comedy? It is the first time. Yeah. <laughs> the 10th or 12th draft. <laughs> you've still got to believe in that stuff. And uh, look, someone's going to see it for the first time. It does work. But I remember when we were trying to write a, a Brotown movie, and we'd written about 20 drafts over about five years, and then I went to this workshop by this LA's comedy guru, his name's Steve Kaplan. He's, he comes over here and charges thousands of dollars and a lot of New Zealanders go along, you know, keen comedy writers and I, I put up my hand and asked him a question. I said, how do you make a New Zealand movie global? Mm. You know, how do you make it for, you know, and he said, you make it as specific to your local culture as possible. Don't try and Make it generic, try and please lots of different people. Make it please your culture first. And we went home and threw away the 20th draft of our Brotown movie and thought, fuck, we have to start again. Yeah. Because in our movie plot we had, they went to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, let's take our Brotown boys to L.A. for some strange reason. How's <laughs> what they get there? But after hearing that bit of advice, I was like, yeah, Brotown fans want to see these people in their environment here yeah you know it's such a trap isn't it for yeah. movies it's it, like oh it's such a good point. go to la yeah <laughs> it's 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 such a it's such a good point and new zealand movies are just so brilliant i think because of that you know and australian movies and i made the mistake myself i think i made a movie called i love you too and it was a romantic comedy and the director came on board she did a great job but she really she shined it up maybe a little bit too much yeah. you know all of a sudden when they, they were supposed the characters were supposed to be in grungy pubs they were in like you know huge shiny nightclubs and and it had a like a real sheen to it that wasn't in my head when i when i wrote it and she made it a better film in many ways but i think they were going after you know they were trying to compete with romantic comedies american romantic comedies and i think that was the mistake and it did solid business uh, in australia and a few territories around the world but but um, it was never really a chance to, to break the stage because we had um, uh, Yvonne Strahovski was our leading uh, woman uh, who's in The Handsmaid's Tales now. Brennan Cow was our leading man. Um, and, but th they were competing against, you know, Jennifer Aniston and Cameron Diaz, you know. And, and so it, it's, it's, it's not impossible, but it's tricky. So I think that bit of advice, if we had done a bit more of that, would have been really handy to know. Who is that woman in Handmaid's Tale? She, I haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale. She's a beautiful... Oh, my God, uh, it's so good. <laughs> You've got to say it. Yeah. And she, she's a nasty woman, apparently, in, in, in oh, the... She, uh, oh, she's she... She's a beautiful, she the beautiful girl. Is she Aunt Lydia? Or she might be I think she wife? might be. Or Aunt Lydia. Yeah. Ooh. Someone got the answer back. She's the wife. She's the wife, is she? 
The wife of who? Of, of, of the, the captain. Of, of the handmaid? Of yeah. The, the handmaid? Is she the handmaid's wife? No. no. Mrs. Waterford. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Mrs. Waterford. Oh, yeah, she's evil. evil. There's a very heavy. And she's very, she's very good in it, I believe. She is. Um, okay, let's. I, we are getting to the part of the show where I'm going to get you to get your minds Woo! thinking. I'm sure you've got lots of questions bubbling away, but we've also got to get to this this ending. Um, do you know? Oh, the guy finishes his beer and he leaves that end. Do you know where you're going to end up when you begin writing a comedy script? Or is there just some... Do you just sometimes do funny for funny's sake and see what comes out on the other side? I think you always got to know where you're heading. And I think maybe the first act and the third act are usually easier. And it's just filling in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a prick sometimes. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I think we, uh, there are so many ways and fun ways to start a movie. So I think that kind of you always have options. And and, um, and then to bring it home, you usually it's the same. You usually have quite a few options to, to think about. You know, and usually the end is about what you want to say. So you kind of you tend to know what you want to, the movie to say or the the, the TV show to say. Um, but it's all filling in all the bits in the middle. I find. Not that you won't have ideas, but then you've got to structure it in the right way, and it's tricky. Mm. Mm. Um, I do want to ask, Oscar, is there a 21st draft of a Brotown movie in the works? Is that still going to be oh, a thing man. now that you've had so, this amazing advice? No, nah, well, so we kind of threw that out and have to start again, but we did get some development money to develop a, a script, so we're still going on that. Yeah. We haven't written it yet, but... Because <laughs> you, you can paralyse yourself sometimes because people love the series so much, we don't want the movie to be stink. Mm. But then 20 years might go by and it could be too late. You know, we don't want to end up there. Yeah. Um, is the ending important for you? Do you always know um, where you're going to arrive? I it, mean, especially because you yeah. always work with... What well, you frequently work with the other guys, right? With the yeah. other naked it Samoans. It depends, eh? So. Like, there was one show we, we, where we knew we wanted it um, to end in... Excuse me for saying that. A suicide. We just like the challenge of making a staged comedy show that ended with the main character committing suicide. Wow. Bizarre, I know. But yeah. we set ourselves that challenge and wrote this real killer show. Um, and it was amazing. But a lot of people walked out like, "What the hell?" We laughed for <laughs> an hour and a half, and then you finished it with Robbie Mungasiwe hanging himself. Uh, yeah, right. But it, it was to, it to be a story about. Um, it goes back to that thing about what 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 is your comedy about? And so our comedy was about the pressures and expectations that get thrown on young men, rugby players, with this specific one. But other stuff, you, you, you don't need to know the end. And I collect a lot of quotes about comedy and writing, and, and one I heard was, you know, it's like driving at night with the headlights. You don't have to see where you're going, but you have to be able to see far enough and trust that you'll get there in the end. It's <laughs> really beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Kura, what about you? I mean, because you do so much improv, but like with your sketches, for instance, do you know um, where you want to land or do you just revel in the joy of making it? Yeah, uh, I, I reckon I'm still learning that. I don't know, I'm not sure. I, I learned that you can say the gag straight away. You can give away the gag in the first line and then just build on it, right, until it sort of pitters out. Or you can go, Build up, build up, build up, gag, you're out of there. There are so many ways to do it. So I'm, I'm still learning what the, the best way for each thing is. Yeah. 
And is it nice getting to do the experimenting in a sort of web series and sketch series like the one that you're doing for Māori television? Because I feel like this is this whole new world for some of my favourite comedians to experiment, try things out. And yeah. sort of low, not low risk, but a, just a, you can make a five-minute episode and a 14-episode series. Is that exciting for you? That yeah, it feels quite nice. It feels like there's a... And like uh, like you say, all of those young comedians mm. sort of are having a pretty hot year, you know. Like yeah. there's um, the Billy T nominations and the Fred noms are all so amazing. Yeah. And um, I've just got an opportunity to work for Jono and Ben. They've accepted a couple of my sketches into that. And so that feels really nice to sort of keep learning those ways to do it. But yeah, people are... It feels like uh, they're taking a risk on us, or we're being heard. And nah, you're going to make work. them better. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that feels risk. nice. It feels like a kind of nice little um, time to what a time to be alive. Yeah, shit. It's yeah. cool though. There's so many different formats and different mediums to kind of try and crack up people. You know, there's web series, there's YouTube videos, there's so many comedians who just cut up their own shit and then just put it out there. Mm. But I think despite all that, the rules of funny still stay the same would you reckon yeah yeah absolutely and i agree i agree with oscar you will make them better uh, because you know, I, i've been on shows where i've hired people writers and, and actors and you know I, I never look at it as taking a risk on anyone i always look at it, these people are going to make this show funnier so that's that's why you've been given that job yeah. Thanks. Scores. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll watch the show. I'm trying to get. Um, I'm trying to get funny. Yeah, I love those Instagram guys. But I think well. we're going to make them awesome. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are out of time. Not uh, quite out of time. Um, I am interested to. <laughs> oh, see ya. He wants to check the, the scores. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Interested to know, do you guys have any questions out there for Pete or for Hel uh, for, for Pete or for Helia, for Pete or Oscar or Kuda? I can see a hand yeah. up. We've got some lovely writing volunteers who've got microphones. If the rain does start pouring down on the top of this thing, again, make sure you point it right in your face. Awesome. Kia ora, hello. Kia ora. My question that I have is kind of for Kuda, but also for everyone else. So one of the people who really influenced me in my life was a humanitarian clown. And she would work in war zones uh, going into pediatric hospitals and um, sort of cheering up the kids there. And I was wondering if any of you could comment on the role of comedy in conflict situations. Amazing question. Wow. It's wow. funny. It's interesting. I, I, we wrote a script, three episodes of a, as a show. Uh, it was called Exit Strategy. And it was um, about, this is in the last year, and it was about a, a woman who started off as a journalist and then she got sidetracked. She got seduced by the the lights of showbiz and she started doing breakfast television. Then she made a huge mistake where she offended Meryl Streep in a live interview and she was kicked off and she was basically told, we're, we're sacking you. And she didn't want to be sacked, she wanted to keep her job. And they said, well, the only other position we have is for you to be the, uh, a, a correspondent in Afghanistan. And not expecting her to take it. And she took it and then she, she, it was about her being a war correspondent, showbiz reporter being a war correspondent in Afghanistan. And we loved the script and we, we were going to try to make it in the States and we got a lot of great feedback. But in the end, nobody wanted to do a comedy in a war zone at the moment. And I, I heard that Shonda Rhimes, who's the showrunner for Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and, and How to Get Away with Murder, also had a, had a war correspondent script that she couldn't get made. So when I heard that, I'm like, okay, that, that project's died. Um, for me, but um, I, I, lo I, I personally love those kinds of stories. That sounds like an amazing story too. I mean, mm. I, I, I wish we made more of those. 
Could it? Should you, have you oh. thought about clowning as a way to in a conflict zone or in? I think it's so amazing that people do that, and uh, I feel like uh, hopefully I do that, but uh, in a different way. You know, like I like breaking tension when people are having fights, uh, but I like doing it safely from Auckland as well. You know, like. <laughs> uh, I totally believe that comedy is a, a real gift and a real tool to help people and to educate people and to um, heal as well. So I, I think that's amazing and yeah. And in a conflict zone, humor takes on a whole different importance. Hey, it's one thing mm -hmm. to be making funny DVDs or doing a stand-up show at the town hall. It's another thing to be trying to make kids laugh who've just seen their parents bombed. You know, and I think that's the awesome thing about humour and never have we needed it more than these days, it seems, all this <laughs> craziness that's going on. Yeah. Great question. Thank you. Does anybody else have anything they would like to ask? Over there? I can see a hand. Yeah, here. One mic. Ooh. Travelling your way, sir. Better be a good question. <laughs> Guy walks into a bar, asks a question. <laughs> Hey guys, um, what's your thoughts on um, Jonah from Tonga? Um, you know the thought, the thing of someone not from a culture Brown making humour out of that culture. Mm. Such a good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> am, I, am I the Australian who needs yeah, to answer it? <laughs> yeah. Jonah Takalua. I, I, yeah, it's tricky. And I, I work with that production company. They, they made my movie. They made the, the, the sitcom we're writing now. Um, I I really like Chris. I didn't like that character, and I as much. I, I, well, the character had a good heart, but I, as far as what goes into making that Chris performing that character, I, I don't I don't quite understand how he didn't really. Get, I'm not sure if he got away with it, but how that that happened. To be honest, it did go unchecked for a long time. Yeah, and it, well, there's also the the the, the uh, rap character, the Schmaus, mm. he did as well, which was also, I, I in the, <laughs> in these really sensitive times, I'm, I, I just I don't know how yeah. that that happens. As a Samoan, I thought Jonah from Tonga was um, was interesting. Mm. I liked Jonah the character in Summer Heights High mm. when he was one character and the world was the school and you could see and it was him and his boys his boys had his back and it was kind of about the teachers mm -hmm. and the parents as soon as you took him back to Tonga it was different because suddenly the joke was on the Tongan people all these real Tongan people that were acting around him mm -hmm. he was this he was this white, white Aussie guy pretending it was funny in Summer Heights High but and on Tonga it was weird it was like he was taking the piss out of them so but I always think with comedy, you got to punch up. Yeah. But do you still think there's an issue with him doing it? And I agree. Like the character's quite sweet, and it's, you know, but do you still think even in Summer Heights High, which I thought was a great show, um, there was still an issue, it still should be an issue that he played that character? No, nah, because he played Mr. G, he played Jamey. In that context, yeah. you could see it as a character that he was playing. Yeah. And they used real Tongan boys as his friends. Yeah. Who yeah. I loved. Yeah. I loved his dad. It was so his good. dad cracked yeah. me up. The, his I said real I fucking love you. Yeah. <laughs> I said I fucking love you. <laughs> there is. Yeah, cool. 
Uh, so you might have just give, been given permission by Oscar. Oscar told me I could do brown face. No, we were doing bro. You know, we would we would be in Aussie with bro town, and people would say, "Have you seen Summer Heights High? Have you seen Summer Heights High?" So, yeah, I don't I don't agree with with black face, brown face. It's just a bit why. Mm. <laughs> well, especially now that we've got so many real brown faces <laughs> we can turn to. Could a um, what do you make of Jonah? Jonah from Tonga. Oh, I totally agree with these guys that you just have to be careful who 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 the joke is at. Who is the joke about? When I agree that when it was in Tonga it became about something else. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 a good point about always knowing what yeah, who the target is. I, yeah. I I was doing a routine a little while ago about travelling overseas and I tra travelled to France and my wife wanted to learn as much French as she could, and I said, there's no point, and, and, and uh, I explained why, because you'll go over to France and you'll see somebody, uh, and you'll, uh, uh, in, you know, you'll say in French, you'll say, oh, where is the, uh, the train station? And I'll go, <laughs> and then you'll just go, I, I didn't learn the answers. I just learned the questions. <laughs> there's no point learn, trying to learn, unless you can learn the whole language, there's no point. <laughs> So I was talking about that, and then I was trying to uh, kind of bring it back to Australia, and and, and because the French were like, um, you know, they were kind of almost, uh, you know, they they will insist that you get words right, and and where in Australia we don't pick up, you know, we, we just let people go, you know, like, um, and I was using the idea of like a, a Chinese person who's you know English was their second or third language trying to do it, and it was a nice bit, and it got laughs and all that, but it was something I, I felt uncomfortable about, and I spoke to a friend about it, and he said. Um, are they laughing because of the point you're trying to make, or are they laughing because you're doing a funny, a funny voice? Mm. I said they're probably laughing because I'm doing a funny voice. Mm. So I dropped that bit out of the routine. You know, so it's just it's just good to check in sometimes about what, because it's easy check sometimes when you can laugh. Sometimes it's it's good to, it's convenient to kind of go. No, they're laughing at the point I'm making. Not always. Mm. Yeah. I heard there was comics at the recent international gala where there was a bit of racy material, yeah. which I read about. I was like, far out. They're still doing those jokes now in 218? Yeah. What the heck? But it's good because I feel like there are more and more voices and more and more forums in our newspapers and our columns on these kinds of stages and social media that are saying, hang on a minute, I'm not so cool about that. Um, we've probably got time for two more questions, one or two more questions. Does anybody have one burning one a little right in the middle. Minute? Amazing, right behind the light. The microphone is coming to Thanks you. Thanks for sitting quietly and listening. Yeah, there's such a lovely audience. This is a question for Oscar. Um, you luck. said something in the beginning, uh, and I didn't quite get it. Uh, you said the Germans um, are not really funny. <laughs> Uh-oh, and that's all we have time for. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm you to no, no, I said... Beast, <laughs> yeah. I said... <laughs> I said one of the stereotypes that exists <laughs> about Germans is that, they, is that they don't think they're funny. And I, I spent two months in Berlin, and it was one of the most hilarious times of my life. <laughs> David Hasselhoff is one of my favourite comedians. <laughs> Some of my best friends are German. Oh. Uh, that was the funny moment of the night. That I think. Was, it was a gorgeous, a gorgeous Your question moment. about Germans? <laughs> Hey, are they laughing because of the accent or yeah. because of what you're saying? Um, <laughs> one Thank lucky last question. Does anybody want to ask? I think that's a lovely... Yes, sir. 
Yes, ma'am. Uh, just Hello. thinking about the role of comedy in the ancient days in the, in the court where the clown could say anything to the king and the king wouldn't, you know, wouldn't chop off his head. He had to listen. Um, yeah, do you want to make any comments about political satire today? <laughs> well, I think we saw at the White House correspondence that that's probably changed. That um, was amazing. A bit now. Yeah, it was, that was quite an incredible... Little case study, I think. Mm. What did you make of that, Kura, Michelle Wolf? Oh, I just thought she was so incredible. The way she was just going for it, and people were going, ooh, and you know, like, and loved the shots of the people she was targeting, just sitting there in their very fancy ballroom, getting nailed. But I just thought it was incredible, and I just wondered how she felt when she finished and sat back down, and had to look out at all those people. I guess I one of those gigs where you'd call another comedian, like that corporate gig I was talking about earlier. You'd call somebody and go, you never guess what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope she felt like she nailed it because I just thought she was incredible. The, yeah. the truth that she was just spilling was incredible. Yeah, it was, inc yeah, it was great. I think it's got a, I mean, it's a massive place in political, I think ma political satire is massively important. Although there comes a time when jokes don't do it enough. Mm. You know, it's one thing to make... We could all sit here and laugh at a, th a thousand jokes about Donald Trump. There are still going to be immigrants in America targeted. There are still going to be black people who is going to have someone call the cops on them for sitting in Starbucks. There are still going to be... I think we've reached a point where we're really good at making jokes about political satire. You know, there's so many shows that do it, but I think... Man, jokes just don't seem to make any difference. Yeah, <laughs> it's great if you can have a joke, but you're also encouraging change or you're encouraging a fight in your joke. So you're um, influencing people to do something about the problem while making them laugh. Awesome. If you can do that. If you, yeah, if you can, if you can figure out how to do that. I mean, well, with, with that, I think that brings us to the end of question time and to the end of our session. I'm going to conclude with what I think I might have learned from you three people tonight. Possibly not a white guy walks into a bar with a backstory and a reason for being there. <laughs> the middle, he's getting a laugh. <laughs> the middle part is really hard. It's important to leave the audience with a message at the end. <laughs> Brilliant. And that's comedy writing. <laughs> I, you missed one very important point. Always end with a scrotum joke. Oh. So that was an opportunity. Hey, I want to say a massive thank you to all of you for being part of tonight. Please give a warm round of applause to Kura Forrester, Oscar Kitely and Peter Hallier. Thank Yay. you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the 2018 Auckland Writers' Festival. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.